Let's pray one more time. Ask the Lord for revelation to come on us. Lord, we love you and we desire to hear from heaven tonight. Lord, I'm asking that the, the very oracles of heaven would be released to us. For the Holy Spirit, he is the great teacher. Pray you'd instruct our hearts. God, I pray you would break in and deliver us from woundedness, God. That you draw us into revelation of your great emotions, your love for us, the great delight and desire that you have for each of us. God, I'm asking that you would begin to speak by your spirit. That you would speak by your spirit of your love as a father. That we would see more and more the father heart toward us. Lord, I'm praying, break off everything that's hindering, everything that's hindering intimacy and love between us and you, God. Break it off. Minister to to hearts that are estranged from, from you, Lord. Minister to us tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. Okay, John chapter 5. I want to read a few verses. Uh, verse 19. That's where we want to pick it up. We are on a th- in our third session, uh, ministering on the Father heart of God, talking about the emotions of God. Kenny, if you can just give me a little bit more, just a little bit, my voice is a little bit tender. But talking about the emotions of God and uh, coming to know who God is as a father. Dealing with so many of the, uh, the, the ways that we perceive him wrongly because of many times our natural experiences with natural fathers or father figures. Uh, we're dealing with th- that because so many times our uh, challenging experiences in the earth cause us to reflect uh, upon God negative aspects that are not what he's like and so often when we read the verses we end up having to read the verse and go okay you're not the way I think you are and, and the reason why we're having to work through that whole uh, maze of coming to the knowledge of God is because many times our experiences have testified to us of an, another reality as it relates to authorities and father figures and things like that and so we end up having to traverse this, this challenging um, path to come to a right knowledge of God and, um, and so but the thing is there's healing there when we come to know who he is as he is all of a sudden our hearts begin to get unlocked and come alive and, and experience the emotions of heaven and I don't know about you but I don't want to live this life locked down in my emotions hiding behind pain not experiencing a free heart and not experiencing what it means to, to know the life of God and the love of God I don't want to live this life that way I want to live experiencing that which has been given for me the, the love of God manifests in the gospel manifests in the, the sacrifice of his son I want to experientially know the love of God that does doesn't have any boundaries I want to get lost in this thing I want this thing to so exhilarate me that I am living a life of a, a, a lifetime of experience of of discovery where I'm coming alive over and over and over again and multiple measures of revelation of the knowledge of his love see we tend to we tend to do this we go you know I learned the song when I was in Sunday school Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so but, and we think, oh man, I got that down. I know God loves me. But we have got no comprehension of what the love of God even, I mean, we don't even have a, a, a close to a picture of this thing. 
It is, ah, uh, it's boundless. I'm getting ahead of myself. I was just about to go to Jeremiah 31, but I got to do that after I do John 5. You're in John 5, aren't you? Maybe I ought to go into John 5 so we can all be on the same page. Anyway, the whole point is we, we need our hearts unlocked. That's what I was trying to say. We need our hearts unlocked. Living alive in love. That's what we want to do. We want to experience who God is as a father. We want to experience who Jesus is as the bridegroom. We want to soar in love. We want to live not locked down, not hiding in shame, not burdened with false images of God. We want to be alive. I love the chorus Monica has. She sings, we, I want to be alive. I want to be in love. I want to be alive. I want to be in love. Put your fire deep on the inside. That's what we want. So John 5, let's look at this. Verse 19, Jesus answered. And he said to them, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself, that he the Father himself does. And he will show him, the Son, greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Look at verse 27, 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. These verses are a shock They are an absolute shock. The man Christ Jesus is standing in front of the Jews and they're asking him questions about the law and the law of the Sabbath and how it's all supposed to be, you know, legislated and carried out. And Jesus begins to say stuff like, I don't do anything and I don't say anything that the eternal father hasn't already shown me and said to me. And they're going, impossible. God doesn't relate to anybody like that. That's, that's abs- they're, they're getting offended at the, at the drop of the first line. And he goes, oh yeah, and more than that, God raises the dead. And all the Jews go, uh-huh. And he goes, and so can I. Because God has given me life that's in him. They're like, what are you talking about? Impossible, impossible. And he goes on and explains how the father has actually committed to Jesus eternal judgment. He goes, I am actually, if you can hear it, now imagine the man Christ Jesus standing in front of a a group of of, uh, Jewish leaders and rulers. He goes, if you can hear this, He goes, I don't do anything I don't hear the Father. I don't see the Father do. I don't say anything I don't hear the Father say. 
and I can raise the dead because the Father has given me the very life that's inside of him. And I am the one that all judgment is committed to. (laughs) You know, in that moment, those Jews, they were like, no wonder they wanted to stone him. (laughs) He's making himself equal with God. And it goes on to say that, that they're offended with him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him because no man could relate to God like that. And he said, and it says right there in the text that they got offended with him because he made himself the son of God, equal with God. And these, these are just, I mean, I was just thinking about that. The father has life in himself and he's given the son the ability to have life in himself and to impart that life into whomever he wills. What is the life that's in the Father that he's given into the hands of the Son as well and that they're giving into us? What is that? I don't know it, but I want to know it. I want to experience it to the full in this age. I don't want to be locked down. I don't want to be without life. I don't want to be you know, dry in my experience with God. I want to know the depths and the riches, the knowledge of who he is and what this is that he can, he can give us. And so I'm looking at these verses, but this one verse is sticking out to me so strongly. Verse 22, the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. That one, I mean, that is such a shrouded little verse it hides behind the curtain for us because we don't get that. Here's why. Many people have had challenging experiences with fathers and father figures and they have um, come under criticism, oftentimes continual criticism throughout their life uh, at the hands of fathers and father figures. In fact, many, many people have had uh, multiple interactions. In fact, the majority of their interactions many times with their father or father figures would be one of criticism. How did you do? Did you get all A's? You didn't get all A's. What's this B about? Well, what about the other five A's? No, there's a B. You know, you know um, well, how come you're late today? Well, Dad, I, I, was, I was on time every other day, but today, I, no, no. Why were you late today? And, and many have had experiences with fathers and father figures that the, um, the byline is not the affirmation but the byline is criticism for even small missteps, for even immaturity. And so what many will do is they will apply that lens to the eternal father and they will immediately feel like the eternal father is critical and judgmental. He's, you know, agitated, basically agitated with you because you basically um, don't measure up. And so his lens of criticism is always combing through all the details of your life to find the, the, the area that is not uh, measuring up so he can nail you with that thing. We consider him to be judging us. Many times people think of God the Father as judging us at all times, always sort of perusing our life and finding the inequity and going, that's the issue. You need to get that thing right. But God, I'm leaning in. No, right there, you've got that problem that needs to get handled. And many times we will have a lens of the Father as being very critical because of some of our natural earthly interactions. Well, what's what's a, a shock about these verses there in John 5 verse 22? Jesus, who's come to reveal to us the Father, says, the Father judges no one. 
I mean, is that what that says? The Father judges no one. How could that be? Many of us have the vision of the Father as being the one on the, on the big throne with the white hair, with the stern look, moving in intimidation and criticism. But Jesus says, the Father judges no one. Another way to say it, the Father never judges you. And right there, all of our paradigms about who God, the judge of the earth is, goes just out the window because the man Christ Jesus, who is God in the flesh, describes that the Father is not judgmental. He's not critical and he's not judgmental and he lays it out for us and he explains how come. The Father judges no one because he has committed all judgment to the Son. The Father has reached within his own nature within the eternal Godhead and that feature of God that operates uh, as judge, he has taken it completely out of himself as father and completely placed it within Jesus as son. So the eternal father is fully without judgment, fully without criticism, fully without being critical toward you. He judges no one ever. So in your approach to God, the father... When you're approaching him, he's not looking at you with a stern look and a mean eye. He's looking at you with acceptance and tenderness and drawing you to himself. The reason why is because he's not judging you. It's not in the Father. It's in the Son. Now, how does that change your approach to the Father if you understand he's never judging you? I mean, come on. You go in before the throne. You know you got to pray. Maybe you've had some dead prayer times. Maybe you've just hadn't had good quiet times at all. The, the, you know, the voice of the preacher is echoing in your head. You need an hour a day. Anybody that doesn't pray an hour a day, I don't even know if they're saved. I mean, you hear those statements, you know, echoing in the back. You're going, I haven't prayed an hour a day in the last... I've never played an hour a day, but let's give it a try. And you come, you know, crawling up to the throne. Um, Father, and in our mind, he's going, where have you been? You're late. But in reality, he's going, there you are. There you are. No, no, you couldn't be saying that about me because I haven't prayed the last five days. There you are. Come here. Come here and sit up here with me. No, you couldn't be thinking that about me, Father, because you think that I'm bad because I haven't been praying like I should and, and you've got to be judging and being critical of that. He goes, well, actually, no, that's not in me at all. What's in me is love and acceptance for my children. He goes, and I really want to be intimate with you. Come here. And I'll tell you, your approach to God will absolutely get transformed 
when you'll come to recognize that the Father has committed all judgment to the Son of God. The man Christ Jesus is actually the judge of the ages. The one who is our bridegroom, who we will marry, is also the judge of the ages. If you can stand it, men will come before the judgment seat of Christ. That's not simply a believer's judgment. It's a much broader judgment that includes the great white throne. If you can stand it, they will be judged at the hands of the man Christ Jesus the eternal father has committed all judgment to the son see our paradigm on who the father is is completely skewed we've thought him to be harsh we've thought him to be critical we've thought him to be cynical and curt and agitated and so that when we've done wrong we figured he was combing through the details of our life ready to smack us as this big mean judge Yet instead, he's always been the father that's drawing us into himself, drawing us into his son, drawing us into intimacy, desiring to be with his children, always wanting us before his face. He's a father that judges no one. Can you imagine? He doesn't judge you. I have to say it over and over and over and over because it doesn't penetrate our paradigm because we're so attuned to a whole other vision of who he is. The father isn't judging you he's not looking at you and thinking about how poor your performance was he's not criticizing you and looking at the area where you've fallen short he's not agitated with you because you should have done better or because you're late the father judges no one wow that'll change your prayer life right there you're not judging me. He goes, no, I don't judge anybody. And I'm not judging you. Never. He goes, who are you? Who are you? He goes, I like you. Come and find out. We go, you couldn't like me. I'm filthy, ugly. I do badly. I perform poorly. And you know all that. He goes, I like you. Come here. Come here. But you couldn't. We, and here's what we do. We stay away offended at the goodness of who he is. We're offended that he's good. You're so good you like this. You must, oh, you're messed up if you like me. Because I totally like you. Oh, I'm offended that you could like one as ugly as me. He goes, yeah, I made you. What are you talking about? Come here. He's always drawing us. Turn over to Jeremiah 31. I'm telling you, your life will get easier if you'll believe that. Because <laughs> you won't try to perform to get God's approval and try to meet his standard. You'll simply approach him and let his love transform you. You'll let the goodness of who he is get on you and transform you. Jeremiah 31 Verse 3, the Lord has appeared to me of old, saying, Yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, I have drawn you. you know, I was thinking about this. I've loved you with an everlasting love. When did God start loving you? 
he never started loving you because he's been loving you forever. How broad is God's delight for you? How broad is the Father's love for you? He's loved you forever. With perfect foresight of all you would ever do, he's loved you forever. I mean, come on, this is good. I can, I can live with a God that likes me like that. Because here's, what we, here's how we do the math. We go, you know all my ways before I ever do them. Before I was ever created, you know what I'm going to do. Surely it would have been way easier for you to just, to, just get rid of me, squash me before you even have to make me because I'm such a failure. I'm so unworthy and no one would ever like me anyway. And look at if anybody ever knew it was all going on within me. No one would like me for sure. He goes, I've loved you forever. God never had to start loving you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. And while you were a reality in the mind of God, you weren't a created reality until you were conceived. Can you imagine the momentum of love that was built up from eternity over you until the day that you were conceived? I mean, the momentum, the volcano of God in love is going... Ready to express his emotion towards something, towards you. It's going, and it's building, building, building. Why? Because he's loved you forever. You've existed in his mind forever, but when you're conceived, boom, he gets to have expression of that which is moving within his, has been moving within his emotions from eternity past. I have loved you with an everlasting love. When will God quit loving you? Never. That's the Father. Guys, you already won. He's not judging you. He's not critical. He's not cynical. He's not sarcastic. He doesn't have a curt and mean look. He's not looking at you with an intimidating eye. He's drawing you to himself. He's taken all the nature of judgment and put it into his son. The judge of the ages is Jesus Christ. The father standing there completely opening his arms to you with acceptance, drawing you with loving kindness. What's that? Loving acts that are kind. I'm convinced of this. The father will give you anything. He will do anything for you. He'll do anything for you that will release in you a pure response of understanding love. He'll do anything. Because he's drawing you right now. He's drawing you. He'll do anything for you. When we go and pray, we're not like trying to get his arm, get him in the arm bar, go, hey, do it. Come on, God. He's like, hey, there you are. Come here. What did you want? I want to give you anything that will let you experience love. That's called being drawn with loving kindness. Somebody goes, well, I always pray for a good parking place close to the mall. And the other person goes, well, that's stupid. You know, God doesn't care about that. Well, he totally totally does. And there are certain women that I know that are anointed to get the good parking place. See, a guy doesn't get that. A guy goes, you know, that's dumb. 
good parking place. The woman drives in the parking lot and goes, hey, Dad, Abba, um, can I get a good parking place today? Bam. He goes, sure, sweetie. Bam. She pulls right up. She goes, thank you, Daddy. Thank you. My daddy likes me. The dude goes, ah. You know, a guy thinks, ah. Circumstantial evidence. But the female goes, no. He knows I've got 15 minutes to get in there. I got to look. I got to get the thing. I got to get going. He did the parking place because he likes me. Little loving kindnesses. Forever he's loved you. He never had to start loving you because he loves you like that. He'll never quit loving you. He's not judging you. He's not judging you. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to try to meet the bar. See, with a father like that, you can walk in filthy. See, we're the little kid that goes out and plays in the mud and then tries to act clean when we walk in because we're afraid of what dad's going to say because we just got mud all over our new shoes and tracked it all over the carpet. We try to act like we're not dirty. Who got the mud on the carpet? And there we are, stained with mud. It's dripping off of our earlobes. <laughs> Who got the mud on the carpet, little buddy? <laughs> Is there mud on the carpet? Where? Well, let's see. It's got your shoe print right in the middle of it. Huh, how'd that get there? I haven't been in the mud, Dad. And the father the whole time was going, if you'll tell me you've been in the mud, it's fine. I'm not judging you. Come here. Or the other thing we do is we go, I can't go inside. I'm full of mud. He, won't, he wouldn't want me near him. He wants you before him in love. He goes, come in here. I know how to clean carpets. Come in here. I'm not offended with your mud. Come in here. Come near me. See, it really boils down to wondering whether or not we can trust his love, whether or not we can be confident in his love. He's such a tender-hearted father. He's, he's operating in tender affections. He's operating in loving kindness. He's always drawing you. He's always loved you. And here's where we, where we go. We just go, I just don't know for sure if I can trust that, if I can be confident that he really loves me. And so what we do is because we're not confident in love, we work trying to prop ourselves up doing things that will make us more confident because we've got some sort of works that we, we can offer God. We go, look, look what I did, Dad. Look, don't you like it? Now you'll like me. He goes, I liked you before you did that. My, uh, my boys, oftentimes, they, they like sports and they... I don't know. They like to do action hero moves all over the house. And one of them will get hyped up and he will, all he'll do is he'll run across the, the den and just jump. Poof. Just do an action hero move and just jump and lay out on the carpet. Poof. And I mean, when you're small like that, you just don't hurt anything. And he just pops up and does it again. Poof. 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 Over and over and over. 
and I'm watching him. And if I get, you know, my attention gets diverted, he goes, hey, dad, watch this. I'm like, that's great. It's cute. Do you think it makes me love him anymore? Does that cause my love to explode now that he's offered me whatever it is that he thinks that I'm interested in? No, I totally loved him off the scale before he ever did his action hero move. You know what we do? We live our lives trying to do action hero moves for the Father, thinking he's critical, and he's criticizing us. And we try to be the best action hero we can so that he'll love us more, and he already loves you, and he's not even criticizing you. He's tender. He's approachable. He's affectionate. He's in love with you. He desires you, and he's trying to do things for you that'll let you know that he loves you fact he'll do anything for you so long as it releases a response of love in you he'll do anything he's drawing you with loving kindness and this issue about being confident in love it's it's kind of where it it doesn't we can hear it with our head but we just don't get i don't know we just we can hear it up here but we don't live the actuality of it in our lives we don't operate confident that he loves us We operate back thinking we've got to perform to get his approval. There's two facets to being confident in love. And they're just just two little pieces of this. And when we can get both these little pieces, it absolutely changes the way we feel about God and, and and the way we perceive that he feels about us. The first piece is this. The first piece to get confident in love, just knowing that God loves us even though we're weak. She said it tonight, and we quote it all the time. But for a community that quotes it all the time, it's amazing how little revelation that we actually operate in of it. Just so amazing. I was thinking about this. You know, I remember when my, my four-year-old, when he was two, we were there, <clears throat> we had a, a basement apartment, and I don't know why he did what he did that day. <laughs> but we were eating, and he just, I don't know, he just got a handful of food and just went, right on the wall two year olds do that they make messes you know we, we've got a, you know a, a whole bunch a whole probably a whole several gigs of pictures of our boys covered in food just eating wrong and putting it in their hair and you know everybody's got the spite you know the spaghetti picture where they got the spaghetti all over them from when they're little kids and little babies and he's two he's weak when he threw that food and splattered it and smashed it on the wall I didn't haul off and smack him and go what's your problem you're not supposed to eat like that don't you know better use your fork Nobody in their right mind puts food on the wall. What's your problem, little kid? I mean, no, I, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Proceeded to clean the food up and clean him up and do what we do and laughed and hugged him and kissed him up after it, right? But here's what we think. 
that's natural for an, an earthly father to love their two-year-old even though they're weak and they do stuff that's like, you know, dumb and it makes a mess. It's natural for an earthly father to feel that way about their two-year-old, but we don't even ascribe that same grace to God. We think that human fathers that love their little weak two-year-old, that's normal, but surely God doesn't love weak people. Surely God, the Father, doesn't love people that don't have their whole act together. You know, he was looking really hard for somebody that had their whole act together. And he couldn't find anybody. That person doesn't exist. He loves us, guys. Weak and two-year-old as we are. He loves us in our weakness. And we try to act so not weak. We try to act so together. And he looks right at us and he goes, oh, little buddy. It's okay that you're weak. I like you anyway. Your weakness doesn't offend me. I already know about your weakness. That's the way the father looks at us. Not critical. Imagine if I had a harsh tone towards my son when he did it that day. I mean, could you imagine if, if I had a harsh tone and I went down on him? Well, that's how we think the father acts towards us. That's crazy. He's nothing like that. He's absolutely generous in his emotions. He's lavish in his love. He's tender in his affections. He's kind in his approach. He knows our frame and he knows we're but dust. Can I tell you something? Your weakness is clear to heaven and it in no way impedes the flow of his love toward you. This is our father. He's a dad that likes us. And then the second piece of being confident in love. First is that we, we know that he loves us even though we're weak. The second is that we believe that though our love is immature, that God sees it as real. This is so elementary, but here's how we do the math. We go, well, if I really loved God, then I would never make any mistakes. I would never sin. I would never choose wrongly or perform badly. So because I do sin sometimes therefore my love is not real and I am a hypocrite because my love isn't perfect and God does the math like this he goes little buddy he goes you love me he goes and I know it's real he goes and though your love is immature that doesn't mean it's not authentic and he sees our immature love. He sees our love. And he goes, that love, though it's small, is real love. Ah, oh, and it ministers and, and delights my heart to sense your affections from me. Take my two-year-old example again. He's now four. My four-year-old tells me almost every day he loves me. Do you think my four-year-old has any comprehension about what love is? I mean, a little bit, but he's the four-year-old version, doesn't he? What if I shouted in his face, you don't know what love is, don't tell me you love me because it's not real. You don't even know what love is. If you really love me, you would obey me 100% of the time, four-year-old. That's ludicrous. Guys, that is ludicrous. But we think of the father the exact same way. 
So what? We've got a four-year-old level love. So what? We make jacked up mistakes. So what? It doesn't mean your love is not real. And I tell you, God looks at your love and he says, it's real. And I love your love. It's real. It's authentic. It's real love. When we begin to believe that God loves us even though we're small and weak and that God sees our love as real and authentic, I tell you, it totally changes our approach to God. I am loved. I am a lover. Therefore, I am successful. This becomes the byline of our life. You don't have to win. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. I am loved and I am a lover. And that's it. And that's where confidence comes from. Somebody goes, you know, I've been thinking about that. I've, been, I've heard that message before. It's not registering. Here's how it works. Your heart is a garden. It's a garden. That's why he prayed in Ephesians 3, you'd be rooted and grounded in love. What's he talking about? He's talking about the process that it takes for your heart to have seeds of understanding of love, revelation of love sown in it, for that to be cultivated, for that to begin to sprout, for that little bitty little shrublets to begin to grow, and for that thing to begin to grow up and become mature. It is a garden, yes, it takes time. Rooted and grounded in love prophesies to us that this is a process. Sure, God works with immediate encounters. People get hit. They have an encounter with the love of God. And man, God does something. He moves them forward. He accelerates the growth process. Puts a little miracle grow on that little seed. But mostly, this reality doesn't come by getting hands laid on you in an altar. Though I'm totally for hands laid on the altar and those things accelerate it. But the, the uh, breadth of the process, the greatest part of the process comes by you giving yourself to this reality, to chewing on the verses, to meditating on the ideas that God loves you, cultivating your heart, getting before uh, the Lord in prayer and saying the verses back to him. Father, tell me again that your love never started because you've loved me forever. Do you know how I got that? I didn't get that from a CD, that little, that little nugget that God's love never started. I didn't get that from a CD. I didn't get it from some preacher. I was sitting there looking at Jeremiah 31. It took about 30 seconds. I go, love me with an everlasting, I started saying it out of my mouth. You love me with an everlasting, this is how I do it. You love me with an everlasting love. Everlasting, everlasting. It lasted forever. Wait, if it lasted forever, when did it start? Oh my gosh, it never started You've loved me forever. That's how it works. A little dork like you and I get these nuggets of truth that goes, you've loved me forever. Unbelievable. It never started. And you, it, it causes your heart to warm. You run over the bridge. You go, check this out. He loved me forever. And they go, right. And you go, no, you don't get it. His love never started. They go, uh-huh. You're like, forget it. It's good right here. That's how it works. You get little seeds. They get planted in there. You walk around saying, the Father judges no one. And then you go, He's never judged anyone. The Father has never judged anyone. The Father, anyone, anyone equals me. The Father has never judged me. The Father has never judged me. 
And that thing begins to take root. And all of a sudden, you know, you can approach the father whose arms are wide open. His heart is tender. He's thinking of you in kindness. And he's not judging you. That's how it works. You cultivate this thing over time. You feast on these realities. You chew them up in prayer. You say them out of your mouth. You meditate on them. You consider them. You roll them over in your, in your heart and your mind. You read the verses. You write them out. And those things begin to take life in you. It's not like, oh, he's going to preach on the father heart. <clears throat> I'm going to totally have all the father issues in my life handled at the end of these four weeks. No, God will invite you into certain things. He'll make headways into it. But I tell you, the way it happens mostly is by you taking these thoughts away and chewing them in the place of prayer and getting open your prayer journal and writing and writing and letting the Lord cause these seeds to come alive. The father's not critical. Father's not judging you. The Father's loved you forever. And I tell you, confidence in love equals might in the inner man. For when you're confident in love, you're not, you're not intimidated by people. When you're confident in love, you're not afraid of God. I mean, in a negative way. I mean, you have the fear of the Lord, but you're not afraid to approach Him. When you're confident in love, you're not, you're not controlled by um, the opinions of men. When you're confident in love, you don't fear lack. When you're confident in love, you don't try to work to succeed. When you're confident in love, you don't feel that specter of criticism hanging over you at all times because you know he likes you. He likes weak people. And your love is real. Some of you just need to hear, your love is real. It's real. Of course it's not perfect, but it's real. If I had a little bitty oak tree and I had a big old oak tree from California, Redwood, a little bit of spriglet of an oak and I had a one you can't even, you know, takes four guys to put their arms around. And I said, which one is really an oak? The answer is both. Just because it's a little sprig doesn't mean it's not real. Your love is real. It's real, and the Father says it's real. And it delights his heart, even though it's immature. It's real, and, that, and we can live in that place of confidence. We can live in that place of knowing that he considers us as authentic in our love. How am I doing? Okay, I want to do one more verse. Let's turn over to Hebrews 12. So even when we get this idea of The Father judges no one. We can still, we go, okay, so he's not critical. Okay, he's not criticizing me. Oh my gosh, God the Father is not criticizing me. He likes me. He's not critical. But we go, but he wants to chasten me. He wants to correct me. When he corrects, and we go right back into the imagery in our minds, we go, oh, he's going to spank me with a mean look and an intimidating, you know, furrowing of his brow, and he's going he's gonna to correct us. We know the verse. The Lord, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. We know the verse. 
But how often have we felt the correction of the Lord and, and thought it was a backhand to us? Not conceiving of what it is he's even doing when he's correcting us. Hebrews 12, 5. I'm going to read through this and then just, just be thinking. We're heading to Proverbs 3 because that's what he's quoting. Hebrews 12, 5. It says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son... Do not despise the chasing or the correction of the Lord. Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. Just don't be discouraged about it when He corrects you. For whom the Lord loves, He he corrects or He chastens. He scourges every son whom He receives. Everyone whom He receives. If you endure correction, if you go through correction, God deals with you as with sons For what son is there whom a father does not chasten or correct? Because if you're without correction, without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers that corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Look at this, verse 10. For indeed, for a few days, they chastened us as seemed best to them, but... He for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Flip over to Proverbs 3. God always chastens for our good. I'm telling you, He's never corrected you just because He wanted to. He's never corrected you to make an example of you. He's never corrected you because He's critical. He's always brought correction to you to benefit you. And whenever He's corrected you, He's done it because He's proclaiming to you the authenticity of whom He is as a father to you and His love for you. It is a testimony that you are accepted by him. The fact that he corrects you is a testimony that you are accepted by him. Now let's look at this. Proverbs 3, 11. My son, do not despise the chastening or the correction of the Lord, nor detest, nor detest his correction. Look at this. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. How does he do it? Just as a father, you could add in, corrects the son in whom he delights. When God corrects you, the Bible says in Hebrews 12 that it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And Proverbs tells us he corrects you the same way that a father corrects his child that he's delighting in. Let me give you a a little thought on this. Instead of believing that God is correcting you in intimidation and in anger, maybe he's correcting you as a testimony of his delight for you. And rather than believing that God is correcting you with a backhand and in a swift, you know, aggressive move, what if he's correcting you in peace? I was thinking about my kids and, you know, we, uh, we homeschool and, uh, we're, you know, we've taught them all to read. 
and uh, I remember the very first days, uh, each of them uh, would be reading to me their first little book, you know, totally see spot run, spot ran fast, run spot run, <sighs> over the hill spot ran. I mean, it, you know, it's just spot ran fast. And so, you know, they would get a word wrong here or there. See spot, and it, it wasn't even like that. It was see spot rune and every time I, I actually cried every time my boys began to read I don't know why I just I was like oh he's reading he's reading I don't I'm weeping they're talking about see spot run and they'll get half of it just messed up spot rain faced yeah well, when they would say it the wrong way, I'm in tears and in delight. I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. But I don't go, hey, it's ran. <laughs> it's not rain, it's ran. <laughs> Spit it out, ran. I go, I go, no, 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 little buddy, try it again. He goes, rain. No, 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 try it again. It's a short A. I go, ran. He goes, ran. Ran. I go, that's right. What was I doing? Correcting the son in whom I delight. Correcting him in a way he didn't even know he's getting corrected. Why was I doing it? Because I didn't want him to go through life saying rain instead of ran. <laughs> I wanted him to know his short A from his long A. Very simple. Was that for his good? Absolutely. Was I agitated? No. Would I expect a five-year-old that's learning how to read to not know his short A and his long A? Yes. I am imperfect. And that's how us as human fathers we do. How much more the heavenly father. He corrects you. The way a father corrects the son in whom he delights. One more verse and we're done. James chapter 3. And when he corrects you, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And I'm telling you, he's not sowing correction to you with anger and agitation and intimidation. We're so used to being intimidated and corrected. We've been, we've been corrected so often in anger. And I'm telling you, the Father is not correcting you in anger. He's correcting you in delight. He's not correcting you because it's, you know, he's trying to get something for himself. He's correcting you for your good. James 3, verse 18. See, when you're corrected, seeds of righteousness are sown in your life. Seeds of righteousness are sown inside of your heart when you're corrected. And when those things train your heart, they yield fruit. And that fruit is righteousness. James 3.18 says this. The fruit of righteousness, or the seed, you could say, that bears the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
The Father has never corrected you in anger. The Father has never flown off the handle with you. The Father has never been frustrated and agitated. Even on the thousandth time, He's had to tell you the same thing. We've got no grid for that because we get frustrated after three. He has an everlasting love and an inexhaustible supply of mercy and grace. The Father doesn't correct you in agitation and frustration. The Father corrects you in peace. You know what that tells me? When I am messed up, when I have done totally wrong, I have a Father who's tender, drawing me with loving acts of kindness he's loved me forever he'll never stop loving me he's not critical nor judgmental in any way and and I've totally messed up when I go to him however he corrects me A. it's always for my good and B. he's always going to do it in peace he's never going to fly off and smack me And how we need an overhaul of the knowledge of God. We've got to feast on the affections of God. We've got to feast on the revelation of the way He feels. We've got to feast on who He is as a Father. Worship team, come on. We've got to feast on these realities. We've got to sow the seeds of love in our heart and cultivate them until our lenses and our paradigms shift I want to stand here and say to you, the Father judges no one. The Father is not judging you. He's not. I don't care what your earthly father was like. He's not judging you. I don't care how critical that father figure, that leader was in your life. God the Father is not judging you. I don't care how many times you were corrected in aggressive, agitated, frustrated ways. The Father is not correcting you that way. You know, we're afraid to be corrected because we're afraid He's going to correct us in anger with lots of strength and aggression. And so therefore, we don't even want to know what he says over our lives and how, to, how he would redirect us. And therefore, many will not even live giving themselves to hearing the correction of the Lord and they will not uh, desire to repent of anything because they're afraid if they, if, they, if they admit wrong, they're going to get corrected with a backhand. And the entire time, the Father's going, come here. Come here. It's ran. It's ran. It's not rain. Come here. It's okay. That's how he is. Oh, how we need to know it. How we need to know the Father heart. We need to know the way he feels. Let's just stand.